Let's pick up where we left off last Sunday in our study of the, the doctrines concerning the Holy Spirit. And if you'll turn to Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 to 13, we read this passage in closing last week. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 5. It, it's my purpose with these lessons to give a balanced and a full presentation of what the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit, who he is, and what he's come to do. And oftentimes, the teaching on the Holy Spirit, it, it gets out of balance to two different extremes. And we want to consider what the Bible says about who the Holy Spirit is and why he has been given to us and how he works. Last week, we began to consider the experience of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. In other words, as he gives us what to say. Uh, this is an experience that is separate from accepting Jesus as your Savior. And this is where we disagree with the fundamentalists. And I use that term often. I don't know if everyone understands what that means. Uh, fundamentalists, are, an example of that is our good Baptist brethren who see many of the same truths that we see and preach and proclaim, and God has used them in many good ways. So what, what, what I'm saying is not to be negative against them, but our, our desire is to always agree with the Lord. And so we disagree with the fundamentalists on this gift, the receiving of this gift as being separate from salvation. The fundamentalists believe that you receive Everything when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. We receive many things when we're saved. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that has actually convicted us of our sins, revealed Jesus as our Savior. And then when we accepted Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit that brought about that new birth. And so the Holy Spirit is certainly a part of that. And I believe, and this is something that, that I teach that many of our group that believe that the receiving of the Holy Spirit is a separate work. Uh, I disagree with some who say that the Holy Spirit is not in every believer until they speak in tongues. I don't believe that. I believe that it's clear that the Holy Spirit is with every believer in a measure, but not in the fullness that is presented to us in this gift that is clearly separate from accepting Jesus as your Savior. It is, th this experience, I believe, is important for us to recognize who the Holy Spirit is. When you were saved, you did not, more than likely, you were not aware that the conviction was the Holy Spirit. You didn't know that. You may not even have known of certainly the working of the Holy Spirit at that time. You may not even known of his very existence, but Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit requires us to stop and say what God says about this one that was sent to enlighten us and to empower us concerning the will of God. And so it isn't important when, when I say that the Holy Spirit is with every believer. I mentioned the, 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 our Baptist brethren. Why do they see those that are faithful to walk in the light that they have? Why has there been a change in their life? Why are they examples of godliness, those that walk in the light that they have? It's by the Holy Spirit. 
and it's by them leading, being led by the Holy Spirit. But that does not cause us to to reject what God says about this gift. He clearly believes it's important, as we'll see in the study. So in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, this is why we want to take our time to get a scriptural balance. We don't want to believe this, receive it, just because that's what Brother Doug preaches and that's the church I go to. If you're not convinced in your own heart that this is the will of God, based on what the Scripture teaches, then you're not going to enter into it. And if it's not scriptural, you shouldn't. You should reject it. And so let's see what the Scripture says. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Jesus speaking to his disciples, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. So this is a persistence. This is something he's talking about pursuing something that you know you need and not looking to any other source, but persistence in knowing that this is what you need and this is where I get it. All right, so what's, what's the subject here? What's he talking about? And then he goes on to give another example. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, with that sinful nature that you have, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father... So who's being addressed here? Children, right? Who's the Father? God. Your heavenly Father, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the subject here is is who? It's the Holy Spirit. The persistence necessary, this intense desire, this is what I need and this is where I get it, has to do with the Holy Spirit. Who is the one receiving the Holy Spirit? Who's asking? Children are asking the Father. Jesus never spoke of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the terms of something to be asked for. He simply says to his disciples, you will be baptized. On the day of Pentecost, the church was baptized by the Holy Spirit. So that's a term you need to understand, and that's something that was once on the day of Pentecost. There's one baptism. But 120 individuals received the gift of the Holy Spirit on that day as well. Same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that baptized the church is the same Holy Spirit we're talking about, that as individuals we need to acknowledge and receive that gift. And so... Jesus saying, I, give, I will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, to those of his children. He's, he's addressing children. So if we get this gift when we're saved, why would we need to ask for it? it? It doesn't make sense. This is something that God's children 
need to continually seek until they receive. And that's not just something that is for a one-time experience that we can say we have it. That's the extreme that many charismatics and Pentecostals. It's all about the experience. It's all about speaking in tongues. No, it's not. It's about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to focus on as we'll continue in the, in the study. Let's go to Luke 24. Every believer possesses with them a measure of the Holy Spirit. Remember that the Trinity is one in spirit and they are, they are one in purpose. And so the very fact that we have the divine nature within us, that is the divine nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is why I teach that, yes, everyone saved has that divine nature within them, a measure of the Holy Spirit. But this gift is that acknowledgement. I need to recognize the Holy Spirit, give him his place to lead me and to guide me. Luke twenty four forty nine. This is how important Jesus thought it was to his disciples. Remember who he's talking to here. These disciples had already gone on a couple of missionary trips in the name of Jesus while Jesus was still on this earth. Peter had already acknowledged Jesus as Christ, which Jesus said that's only because the Holy Spirit and the Father had given him that revelation. So he already acknowledged Jesus as Christ. Peter had performed miracles in the name of Jesus, spectacular miracles in the name of Jesus. He'd already done all of that. But Jesus said to him and the rest of the disciples, Luke twenty four forty nine, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. In other words, don't do anything else until you receive this power from on high to do what I've called you to do. This is how important it is. For me, after salvation, there's nothing more important for a child of God to do than to seek this experience, to stop and acknowledge who the Holy Spirit is. How do we receive? Well, we read it. Ask. That's where you start. We don't need to beg and plead, but it's important to come to the Father and to acknowledge this is from you. This is for me. I want it because I know I need it and I accept it. Lord, I'm ready for my portion. I'm knocking on the door. I'm ready for that portion, that experience. Everyone's experience is different. And this is one of the, again, one of the problems. I've grown up in a Pentecostal church. I've always considered myself Pentecostal. I kind of shy away from the term anymore because there's been so much abuse among Pentecostals. But I don't shy away from this truth, this importance of this experience. But everyone's experience is a little different. And I, it's not my place to force you to have my experience. It's my place simply to point you to the source of what you need. And then for you to knock, to ask, to seek. Some immediately receive. Over the years, I've, I've noticed that it, there are just so many different experiences. I always remember Brother Norton telling how he got filled in the, in the shower. Well, that wasn't my experience, but it was his. It was real. Some receive immediately. Some tarry for, for a long time and then receive. I, I can't explain that. I don't know why that is. Some receive in church, some at home, some with others, some by themselves. There's, there's no right or wrong way. But what is right is ask. That's the scripture. And he will give the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 14. 
Let's look at several examples where individuals after, well, first in, in Acts one fourteen, this is on the day of Pentecost, where again, two things happened. The Holy Spirit baptized the church, that is, initiated, gave birth to the body of Christ, a new entity that had never existed before. The nation of Israel in the past is, was, is not the church. It's not the same. Some people teach that. The nation of Israel had a calling, has a calling. God has a plan for them yet. But the church is something different. And it was new, and it was born on the day of Pentecost, and that was the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But also, the 120 individuals received the gift that day. These all continued. This is Acts one fourteen. These all continued with one accord. Notice the thought there. In prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Today, this seems to be the most common experience. Again, it's not the only way, as we will see. But God's people coming together to worship. That atmosphere of worship seems to be conducive to individuals being willing to acknowledge the Holy Spirit and to receive him. That atmosphere of unity. We're here for one purpose. A lot of different personalities, a lot of different families, a lot of differences among us. But when we come together to worship the one Lord, when we exalt him above everything, above our own agendas, our own wills, our, our own everything, and focus on the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, that's an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit has liberty to work. And one of the, one of the how shall I say this, not having our own place, this is one of the losses that we have experienced. And it grieves my heart. There's been a cost. I don't believe that we could have done anything else. God has allowed this for a reason, but it's been at a cost not to be able to tarry around the altars. And if nothing else, I hope that this time will be a time when we crave those opportunities to gather around the altars and to pray, to worship, to spend time together in the Word in Christian fellowship to encourage one another. Again, God has allowed this time. I don't know why. The pandemic, the building. I have no regrets about the decisions that we've made. I feel that they've been led of the Lord. But may we understand God has a purpose. May we not just go through life without stopping and examining God's working in our life. So that atmosphere, hopefully, we will soon be able to experience again where we can take our liberty to do what we know we ought to do. In those cases, emotion is certainly a part of our worship because emotion is part of who we are. God made us that way. But this experience is more than emotion. If it's just emotion, then it's not the work of God. This is a spiritual work of God to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And again, godly worship can certainly and often it can be expressed emotionally. That's part of who we are. But it comes from a revelation within. It must be, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. I worship God. I receive this gift from my Father because I know it's from him and for me. That's a revelation. Acts 8, verse 14. Acts 8, chapter 8, verse 14. Read through 20. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria 
had received the word. Notice what the Bible says. These Samaritans had received. That is, they believed it, they heard it, and they believed the message that Jesus is the Savior. And they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, so there, he, he saw something, he heard something that was impressive to him. And so he said, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, Your money perishes with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. It can't be bought. It's a spiritual work. But some have over the years had the gift of laying on of hands. I've, I've seen it. it it's, it's more rare than the other experience we just read about. But I've seen it. But it can't be, it can't be bought. These individuals had already received the word and accepted Jesus as their Savior. Then they had a separate experience. Now the fundamentalists, they deal with this by saying, well, they were Samaritans. And so the Jews received it on the day of Pentecost. But it wasn't until the Samaritans believed that now we have to give them their, their baptism. But that, of course, would mean that, that there's a Jewish church and there's a Samaritan church. And then we'll read about the Gentile. Well, there must be a Gentile church. But we know that that's not what the Scripture teaches. There's one church, one baptism. So if... These Samaritans were saved, and we receive everything when we're saved. What was Peter doing? It makes no sense. And the only other justification that our fundamentalist brethren use, they say, well, after the New Testament was complete, God no longer needed the signs of tongues. Well, that's, that's a nice statement, but you do not read that in Scripture. The only thing that they point to in, in Corinthians, we'll get to it later, is when that which is perfect is come, tongues will be done away with. But it also says knowledge will be done away with. Has God done away with knowing his word? That which is perfect speaks of that heavenly condition when we get in heaven, when we're done with this life. That's the perfect. But the New Testament being completed did not. Nowhere in Scripture do you say, when the New Testament is complete, then we're done with all the miraculous stuff. It just doesn't say that. And so I have to agree with the Word of God. Quite honestly, if it was me, if, if I'm just having a vote in this, I wouldn't choose for this second work. Speaking in tongues, with all the reproach and the mocking that comes with it, I wouldn't choose this. But I have to agree with what God says is true as we go to the Word of God. In this passage, it doesn't talk about tongues, but clearly he saw something that was marketable. He heard something that happened when Peter laid his hands on, when they received the Holy Spirit. So there's some kind of evidence. We don't have it here. On the day of Pentecost, we have it, that miracle of speaking in an unknown tongue. But here, we only see that there was some kind of evidence. Let's go to Acts 10. In the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. 
And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know that? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. The evidence of how they knew that they had received the gift. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that those should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in water in the name of the Lord. (laughs) Then they asked him to stay a few days. These individuals, while Peter was preaching, didn't even have time to do an altar call. They just believed. And we know they believed because the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and the world, the unsaved, cannot receive the Holy Spirit. We read that last week. So we know they were saved. They received the gift. And the evidence is clearly the miracle of speaking in an unknown tongue. Again, the fundamentalists say, well, they were Gentiles, so they had to have their experience. I'm not buying it in the light of Scripture. One church, one baptism. That happened on the day of Pentecost. This is individuals receiving the gift. Acts 19. This passage, this experience, to me, completely destroys the justification of those who reject this as being a separate work, a separate experience from being saved. So this is after Jews received the gift. This is after Samaritans had received the gift. This is after Gentiles had received. So all three groups. And and by the way, God only acknowledges two groups, Jews and Gentiles. He did not recognize the Samaritans as a separate group. They were a mixture of Jew and Gentile. Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, some try to to go to the Greek, and and you can go to the Greek all you want. It doesn't change the question. You believed. Did you receive? Now, if Paul, the apostle of this church age, thought and believed and knew that you receive the gift when you believe, that you receive the Holy Spirit in this manner, why would he ask the question? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, the, the thought there, these are Jews that say that who knew the Old Testament, so they knew that there was a Holy Spirit. They were disciples of John, as we'll read here, so they knew by John's teaching that there was a Holy Spirit. The thought is, we didn't know that he was given, that he'd been sent in the way that you're talking. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, would Paul have baptized these individuals if he did not believe that they had accepted Jesus as their Savior? He would not have. He baptized them. I believe they were saved before. When, when, when Paul met them, that's why he asked the question. Some argue that, no, they hadn't come to a full knowledge, and they certainly did not understand everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. John pointed them to the coming Christ and pointed to this is the Lamb of God, and that is enough for them to believe in him. But they did not understand all that had happened yet. 
That's true. But even if, I will concede this to the fundamentalists. I don't believe it, but I'll concede it for argument's sake. Even if they were not saved when Paul met them, in verse 5, they're saved, or Paul would not have baptized them in Jesus' name. And it's not till verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Why would Paul need to lay hands on them? Why didn't the Holy Spirit come upon them the moment they said, I accept Jesus as my Savior? Because receiving the gift is a separate experience. They had to come. We didn't even know the Holy Spirit is given or why. They had to come to a point in their life not only to, to accept the fullness of who Jesus was and what he accomplished on the cross for them, but they also had to acknowledge who the Holy Spirit was who had been sent. And the evidence that they had received was what? The miracle of speaking in tongues. So to me, this, this passage defies all the explanations of the fundamentalists who reject this experience as separate. I have to agree with God. I can't explain why. I can't tell you why he chose this way. All I can tell you is this is what the Word of God reveals to be true. And I, having experienced it, know that it's real. Everyone who receives the Holy Spirit in this personal way, it is the next step in your walk and service with the Lord. To have the fullness of the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the will of God and to lead you and to empower you. Now let's deal with this issue of tongues, because this is such a stumbling block, certainly for the fundamentalists and for many others. Tongues are supernatural. It's foolish sounding, and that's a problem for people. That's part of the surrendering, though. And I will also say this. What I believe has often been a stumbling block for many that seek the Holy Spirit is that they're actually seeking to speak in tongues. And sadly, a lot of God's people make that the emphasis. You need to come down and speak in tongues. No, you need to come down and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The miracle of tongues will be an automatic result of you receiving the gift. It's not your place to come up with the miracle. You're not seeking the miracle. You're seeking the person of the Holy Spirit. Leave the tongues part with him. It, it's, it's a supernatural work. This is why I have over the years that I've just been so grieved by so many Christians that try to tell people, what to say and how to say it and repeat it over and over again until you stumble. I'm sorry. That's not the Holy Spirit. Seek, ask, knock for the gift and leave the rest to the Lord. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. For many of the charismatics and the Pentecostals, tongues becomes the focus and becomes the badge of honor. Oh, you spoke in tongues. Well, good. You're good to go. I don't know how many Christians I know who have spoken in tongues, and they are the most carnal people I know. The Holy Spirit didn't come to make you talk funny. He came to empower you to live a life of godliness. That's our focus. That's our emphasis. People think revival is shouting and jumping, and, 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 and I have no problem with that. In fact, it can be a very refreshing time when, when the Holy Spirit moves that way. But those emotions are not why he came. One of the most discouraging things is to be in a, in a meeting where there's all that, that emotion and shouting and jumping and weeping and speaking in tongues, and then to see many of those same people leave that place and live a life of carnality. 
That's not revival, saints. The kind of revival that I desire is to see lives changed, hearts and minds transformed. And if in that process there's jumping and shouting, then I'm all for it. You may see me do a little jumping. I'm all for that. But when you're done jumping up and down, may you walk a life that honors the Lord. That's revival. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why we need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's close with Isaiah 40, just to give another doctrinal point along this line of tongues. There are those that say, well, if you're going to speak in tongues, it's got to be some known tongue language that someone else in the world speaks, which is certainly what happened on the day of Pentecost. That's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. But if you want to jot down these scriptural notes so you have them, on the day of Pentecost, you know there in Acts 1 and 2, it was exactly that. It was known languages, the Jews that were speaking, the 120 that were speaking those languages. They didn't know that language. They didn't learn that language, but they spoke it. And then people that did speak that language understood it. So, yes, that is part of it. But here in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, Paul says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mystery. And then also Paul speaks in the, to the Corinthians about languages of men and languages of angels. I don't speak angel. And so it does not have to be. The evidence of speaking in tongues may not be a known tongue. But that miracle is given by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit and not by mere emotional outbursts. We'll close with Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 31. For those who have not yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit, please do not fall into the pit of feeling inferior. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit will not make you more saved. It will not make you more loved by God. You are his child. And this is between you and your father. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is not about peer pressure. And one of the biggest complaints I have and that people have brought accusations is that, oh, they felt pressured and they felt like they were less of a Christian. Please know that that is not what we're doing here. I am simply presenting what your Father has revealed to be His will for you. In your time, in your way, know for yourself by the Word of God that this is from your Father, and it's for you. And then start seeking, knocking, or as we read here in Isaiah, Wait upon the Lord. Make it a priority in your spiritual life. Not to impress anyone. Not to make anyone else happy. But simply to do the will of God. Your Father. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Find your rest in Him. In Him alone. Not in the acceptance of anyone else. I'm safe in the hands of my Father. He gives power to the weak. Are you weak this morning? I'm weak. He gives power to the weak. And to the, those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Don't trust in your natural strength or talents or abilities. But those who wait on the Lord... Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk 
and not faint. That's why we need to seek the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a song in closing. Let's stand as we sing.